0: Hi everyone, welcome to the Right Angle podcast. This is the podcast that focuses on the process of design where each episode, I will highlight one exceptional creative individual with the unique perspectives and experiences within the world of spatial design. Through actual conversations about their design principles, philosophy, and process, I want to discover what makes each designer, artelier, and artist unique. I'm your host, Elle Lu. An interior designer in New York City, in the world that celebrates influencers, The Right Angle will be a podcast that celebrates real designers who makes the industry what it is, and for listeners to get a glimpse into the true creative mind. In this episode, I'm very happy to have Rachel Doris, Vice President and Design Director of Pollack with us today. In college, She first studied printmaking and painting but it was in the textile design department at the Rhode Island School of Design that she realized for the first time the practical application of her beloved woven and printed textile techniques. She graduated with a BFA from RISD in 1999 and designed printed silk scarves at Echo before joining the Pollock studio in 2000. In 2007, Rachel was appointed Vice President, Associate Design Director. She took the helm as Polak's design director in 2011, overseeing the studio and guiding the creative vision for each textile collection. In the studio, she and her team always begin a pattern by first creating artwork by hand. Rachel's designs for Polak has been featured in national magazines, including Architectal Digest, Interior Design, and Elle Decor. And she has been profiled on such sites as Apartment Therapy and House and Home TV To offer creations, Maud and Curlicue are in the permanent collection of the Cooper Hewitt National Design Museum. Hi Rachel, welcome to the Right Angle Podcast.
1: Hi, thanks for having me.
0: So I always start each episode by asking my guests the same question to begin with. So could you tell us what's your... For like design philosophy and some principles that guide you throughout the process?
1: Sure. Well, um, firstly, I like to say that um, what is so special about Pollock is that we are like textile architects. So we're building the fabric and the textile from the ground up, and we're considering everything that goes into it. So a lot of people think of textile design, the first thing they think about is pattern Mm -hmm. and and drawing. And of course we all all love that, but there is so much more that goes into um, the the function and the structure and the architecture of the whole cloth. So our design philosophy is really um, looking at every single aspect of what goes into the fabric. So that would be um, firstly, starting with the fiber, and then how the yarns are spun, how to color the fabric, whether you're dyeing the yarns or um, you're dyeing the whole fabric, uh, certainly pattern and how we develop the pattern and the structure, the construction of the material, and of course the end use. So all of that is considered. It's not just like, oh, wow, I love this pretty flower or I like this repeating shape. Um, so really uh, we are weavers, trained weavers from the beginning, and that's um, really, we, we embed that into every single one of our fabric developments.
0: So it sounds like you have a very holistic approach to this entire creating a fabric, the whole process.
1: Yes, certainly.
0: How did you sort of like form that view? Um, well, certainly
1: it started with my textile education. Well, I can go back even further. Uh, my grandmother was a weaver. And I started, had an interest in fabric from a very young age. So starting mostly with sewing and making my own clothes and then getting into dyeing and reconstructing things and batik and knitting and crochet, weaving, all of these kind of hand textile crafts, really. And because I sewed so much as a kid and in high school, um, I understood cloth but I didn't know where cloth came from. I want to make some pants. Let's go to the fabric store, but you don't think about the fabric previous to the fabric store. And certainly shopping for fabric, um, at a fabric store is very different from the, the textiles that we're talking about for interiors that are to the trade only. But, um, I really understood fabric from a young age. And then I went to uh, study at the Rhode Island School of Design as a textile major. And there I learned so much more. So that's where I learned about the fibers and the yarns and the dyeing and the weave construction. And um, I started working at Pollock in the year 2000, so a little over 20 years ago now. And my previous boss, Mark Pollock, who founded the company, He was like a master weaver and understood uh, really everything about fabric. And so I really learned from him and he was a mentor. And that's um, how I formed that view, uh, just through training and through the experience of learning from him on the job.
0: Got it. So how do you think this idea of, you know, you guys being uh, textile architects have an impact on the fabric you produced? Um, well, we, we produce a lot
1: of fabrics. We produce two collections every year, so a fall and spring collection, just like fashion. And within each of those collections, there's probably 25 to 30 different designs in multiple color ways. So we try to embed every single fabric we develop with the same kind of thoughtfulness and problem solving and kind of design architecture. So even if it's a very well priced or say inexpensive fabric for hospitality or it's a $300 fabric for residential, we still embed every fabric with the same attention to detail and um, desire to make it as best it can be and to figure out um, how to best use all of the tools that go into making a cloth. So again, it's not just about the, the pattern, it's about uh, structure, yarn, color, texture. Um, so we really make it a priority for every single fabric to kind of uh, love it from the ground up.
0: Right. And earlier you just said, like from school with you, and go to Pollack, you mainly work at you know, textile design for the interior design environment. It's the way you see textile always the same? Oh, it's totally different
1: um, because it has a totally different end use. So um, just going back a little bit in history, when I was at RISD, I did prints for fashion. And that's what I wanted to do. And I made um, I made my own fabric and I made some garments and then I... Um, came to New York just looking to have a textiles job. And I started working in a sweater company, uh, making theme sweaters um, that were very hideous, but at least it was a job just to get me to New York. And then um, I worked at Echo Scarves doing prints for fashion. So I got a little taste of what textiles were in fashion. Um, And it was very interesting. I learned a lot. But then I had the opportunity to work at Pollock. But at that point I had sort of a preconceived idea of textiles for interiors, that they were boring and plain or beige sofa and not as interesting and as exciting as fashion. But I found it to be the opposite in working with textiles for interiors because um, fashion was so much about trend and um, was a much faster pace. with interiors, I really felt like I could have an original idea and take the time to develop it. And then it would have a much longer life than in fashion and fashion is dead within six months. But, um, we have fabrics in the collection that have been around for 20 years. So that that's a very different way of looking at kind of the, um, the longevity of fashion textiles compared to interiors. And we live with interior fabrics. A lot longer. yes. And so they they are constructed so differently as well. So you have to think about um, how they function for upholstery and in a space, and um, how we actually really live with them. So it's a totally different uh, way of approaching it.
0: It sounds like your ideas for what you're doing right now had a 180. So where is the idea come from that you think textile into design is boring? Oh,
1: well, that was, you know, when I was when I was younger, I guess um, when I say younger, like in high school, you look around and this is um, the 80s and 90s. And it was like ugly upholstery fabric, Got you. It's a very you know, like Victorian. beige sofas. Yeah. And I also didn't have um, I wasn't exposed to good interiors. I was exposed to eclectic cool spaces that were you know my mom's house or her friends and places we would visit but uh really that was pre-internet so sure if we had uh, a home magazine lying around but we really didn't so i i wasn't very educated in great interior design but now i'm completely obsessed with great interior design you know i just devour magazines and images. And I'm so aware of how spaces feel um, when you're in them. And so creating textiles for people to live with is exciting because not only am I creating something that I love and I think is cool, it has a life outside of me. Once it is in someone's space, someone's living with it, or if it's in a commercial space, that's affecting other people and it has a completely different life beyond me. And that's a, that's a total thrill to see, to kind of see the Pollock fabrics out in the wild and yeah. how people have used them. Um, that's, that's really what we're here to do, is to give these fabric a life outside of our original ideas.
0: And speaking of you know fabric, so how do you see textiles play a role in the interior design industry?
1: Um, well, every everybody, whether they know it or not, has grown up with textiles. And textiles are a huge part of their lives. Um, people that are not in our industry, when I tell them what I do, first of all, they think I'm a fashion designer. No matter what, I, <laughs> what I've told them, oh, I do textiles. Or they don't know what textiles are because they're just... There, they're everywhere in in spaces that we um, are comfortable and we've grown up in. And also textiles are in every single culture, so they're very important. Um, they they help to bring a softness, a surface, a texture, a livability to a space. Um, certainly, color, and they can also uh, be a starting point for the rest of the space as inspiration for color or pattern. Um, so I could see taking a beautiful fabric, something that's signature, a pattern, multicolored. And then that's the inspiration for all the other choices within, within a room. Um, but most importantly, people are looking right now for uh, a sense of kind of comfort and um, softness, really. Hand is a huge, it's hugely
0: important right now yeah especially for residential right yeah
1: yeah but you know what it's changed a lot for contract um, i mentioned i've been in the industry for a while and uh, pollock when the company was started was um, started as all contract textiles and then in the mid 90s we had our first residential collection and now the collection's about 50 50 contract and residential so back when I started, contract fabrics were flat, patterned, wool upholstery, um, oftentimes very multicolored and expensive because they were using um, beautiful wools, you know, often from the UK, and they had to be constructed really well uh, so that they co- could hold up t- for all the durability of a commercial space now commercial fabrics um, must be a lot less expensive and they're mostly made of synthetic fibers and we do we have we have most of our success with fabrics that are kind of commercial residential or what people say resi-mercial so even for commercial it has this residential hand but it has to have the durability to hold
0: up to commercial gotcha uh,
1: so that so it's changed a lot since i've been in the industry
0: yeah especially when we design hotel i think there are also the sense of you want the hotel to more feel like home so yeah. i definitely see where you're coming from earlier you kind of mentioned about fashion a lot of it it's about trend so do you also follow that in the interior design textile design as well um not consciously
1: i'm not consciously following trends, but i think we're all following or creating trends unconsciously so i really believe in a collective unconsciousness on the planet and you can kind of see that happening where you're inspired by something or you're attracted to something, maybe perhaps it's a color combination. And then you see that color combination elsewhere, or you see it coming out of um, New Zealand, like across the planet. I don't think that um, there's really a rule book for trend. I think it just organically happens as we move into the future and as our culture changes. But I don't do trend forecasting or color forecasting. I mostly, go with um, my gut, and talking with my team. So I have a really talented team. And I think without knowing it, we're feeding off one another, I might see something that someone else is doing, and we talk about it, then I do something. So it just um, kind of magically happens, there's no formula to it.
0: So I know we talked about, you know, the way you're thinking about textile, and I want to get into more detail about how you sort of like developed. collection so could you tell us a little more about this whole process
1: sure so i'm going to talk about a few different ways of developing a a fabric so we work with over 100 we um different weaving mills around the world the title of my type of company we are called a jobber so we're not actually doing the manufacturing and the weaving but my designers and I understand weaving and construction. But we work with different mills around the world and all of these mills have different specialties and different yarns. So for example, I will work with mills in the UK for wools or in India for embroideries or in Turkey for beautiful polyester shears or in Italy for uh, gorgeous yarns and texture and finishing and certainly in the United States for great upholstery fabrics. So I know all of these mills. I have relationships with them, and I decide which ones I want to work with and develop fabrics with based on what tools they have. So uh, when developing a fabric, um, the mills will come and meet with us Um, pre-COVID, it was in person, or I'll go to trade shows and look at all the fabrics that they have. And then I will get samples from them and they might show me different yarns or different weave constructions that I find interesting. And then that can be a starting point for a new fabric. So for example, I might say, I like this construction, I like this yarn, and I have this idea for a pattern and I'll create the pattern uh, always starting by hand with drawing. Uh, then I use the CAD, the computer, as the tool to kind of refine my drawing. Then I specify it with a the mill. They weave samples or strike offs and send them to me. I might do some changes. Uh, then I do testing, you know, testing is a big part of um, textiles for interiors. And then I will develop colors. So that's kind of the short version of what we do. And it doesn't always happen in that order. So another order is I'll make artwork. So we make all of our artwork by hand in-house. And we will have design meetings and decide which designs we like and what patterns we want to develop. And then talk about different ideas. Oh, this could be really interesting as a sheer window fabric. Or what about a very soft, fuzzy wool? or a hardcore contract textile and then we will decide what mill we want to develop it with and what types of yarns we want to use and what the end use is and we'll kind of go from there so that that's kind of the process in a nutshell Uh, the other part of that is within our collections we have seven divisions so that would be Signature fabrics, which are patterns, like multicolored, um, really kind of making a statement. Then we have textures, so that would be upholstery and sofa-type fabrics, planes. Then there's high-performance. There's indoor-outdoor. There are window fabrics. Then we have a pure collection, which is high-end residential natural fibers, and hospitality. So. Within each collection, I am addressing all seven divisions. So I have a group of textiles for all of those divisions. So it's a lot to think about, but it's really exciting to kind of put together a collection. And um, it evolves organically. It evolves as we develop it. So I don't go from the beginning and say, okay, for fall 2020." (laughs) <laughs> two, I want this, 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 and this is what it's going to look like. It doesn't happen that way. It's just kind of this moving thing. And then I put it together and, and um, I think it looks pretty great when we make all of our edits and put it together.
0: I mean, I love your fabric. So oh, like, you. I <laughs> will have to agree with you. Um, so talking about contract fabric at residential, do you have different approach to them
1: yeah it's it's a very big difference some fabrics there are some fabrics that kind of go uh, straddle both sides but on the super high-end residential side it's very much about natural fibers so like gorgeous luxury alpaca or um, beautiful wools from italy and certainly hand hand meaning like the softness and the touch or linens um, And price is a big part of that. When I start the development of any fabric, I'm calculating the net price and deciding, does this fabric, um, does it have the, does it look like it has the value of this price? You know, and if it doesn't, um, it, it, I'm telling you, it will not sell. So it has to really look the price. So we're considering that, and color is a huge part of it. If I'm developing um, a beautiful, say, brushed jacquard wool fabric from Italy for residential, um, it's going to be mostly neutral. It's going to be natural colors if it's wool, kind of like natural sheep-like colors. So that would be white and gray and cream and kind of a golden color or black and mixing those types of colors together for a high-end residential. Or if I have you know, a beautiful alpaca that's over $200 a yard, I'm not going to do it in hot pink.
0: Even right. though
1: even though you and I might think it looks great and it uh, looks fabulous, it would be a very small group of designers right. who, would ha- who would be able to afford a $200 a yard alpaca that's hot pink. Now on the contract side of things, durability is key you know people um we have to consider um certainly abrasion and pilling and seam slippage and all of these different things that go into making a commercially viable textile so we're considering how how um how the yarns are spun. The yarns have to be spun much more tightly. So what I'm saying spinning, that's actually making the yarn. So twisting the yarn. So the tighter the twist, the stronger the yarn, the stronger that it will hold up to a uh, commercial use. Gotcha. So we're using different materials. Uh, we're using more synthetic fibers. We're using a lot of blends. So maybe like a polyester, viscose, acrylic blend to create a novelty yarn. And we're working with all of those tools to the best of our ability to make something that's commercially viable, that is the right price, and that looks great. You know, so it's got to have all of these pieces together. You could have um, a very durable fabric with a great yarn and a great hand, but if that yarn comes in horrible colors, no one is going to want it. So you have you have to put all of those pieces together. And a lot of times the yarns that we're using, the mills already have the palette of the yarn uh, worked out and I can only choose what they have. So I'm not able to um, dye all of my own yarns, depending on the mill. Some mills I can do all custom development. So every fabric is its own little problem solving novel and that's what that's really what I love about design it's never the same every single fabric we develop is
0: different it's interesting you say that because like fabric have existing for very long time and is it hard for you to create something new every year
1: that's a really good question certainly I don't want to be formulaic and repeating myself and looking at You know, we do look at sales, of course, and we look at what fabrics are successful. And I'm not necessarily trying to make another version of what has been successful. But I am using that information to guide me in pushing myself to do something new. Sometimes challenging, but it's a great challenge because you want to create something new and you don't know if it's going to be a success. You don't want to copy other people. You don't want to copy yourself. You want to take a risk, but I always try to base it on, do I love it? Is it making my heart beat? Is it giving me some energy? Is it something new? And you never know if it's going to be successful or not, but that's pushing forward. And sometimes those fabrics are lost leaders, but they really state to the world who we are. And I think that's, that's a really important thing to do. But there's never a lack of ideas. I feel like we're, when you make something that is giving you new ideas for the next thing, it sort of informs the next fabric. And you can even take a piece of one design and create something very different and new. It could just be like the seed of something in a pattern, whether it's, like a motif or the way that the yarn, yarn is spun or a weave construction that will uh, kind of birth another fabric. So as long as you're in the, the process, the, the ideas are kind of churning out. I do have to say, since I haven't been able to meet with my mills in person since COVID started, when I'm not having all of this material like at my fingertips and meeting with my weavers face to face, it's a little difficult. So I'm feeling a little low at the moment, but I need to kind of um, get it, you know, get a spark going.
0: And have you ever created something that's like you thought, oh, this is great. And that wasn't a commercial success?
1: One hundred percent. Yeah, I think some of our best fabrics um, have not been a commercial success. But that doesn't mean that um, that we would consider them a failure. There's something, some fabrics just want to be out there and want to be made. And it's a beautiful thing to put it out to the world. And it may have a smaller group of appreciators, but it is just so special. And I feel very grateful to work for a company that is so um, design forward and so supportive of thinking ahead and, um, and design in
0: general. Well, that's very interesting. And so I want to know, like, what's the process like, you know, a solid versus texture or a pattern? I'm sure they're not very similar, right, in the process when you're creating right. it. So a
1: plain or a texture is all about the material percent. So it's about how the yarn is spun, what the hand is, and what the fiber is. And it has to be interesting. Even though it's a plain, there's got to be something special about it. So we look at that. You know, how is, the color, how is the color getting into the yarn? How is it dyed? Is it multicolored? And the way that it's con- constructed is that yarn rising up on the face. what's happening with it. And what is making it interesting? Because, I mean, there's so many plain fabrics out on the market. So how does this plain fabric set itself apart? So we're considering that in all of our plain textures. Now the pattern is different because first of all, you're you're dealing with the repeat and the drawing and the mark making. So what what are you gonna do here? Is it going to be representational? Is it going to be abstract? Is it going to be uh, geometric? So looking at the pattern, that's what's going to hit people's eyes first. And then from there, we try to choose the yarns and the constructions that really work for that design and that pattern. We don't often do totally flat fabrics that are just, that look like um, like a print. We try to add surface and texture with the chosen yarns. And for both of those, for the plane and the pattern, we're thinking about end use, whether it's residential or commercial and what the price is going to be and what the color is. So, again, looking at the whole the holistic approach to both ways of developing it.
0: Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. So do you guys also do digital printed pattern or fabric?
1: We, we have um, very few. I think we only have two at the moment. We. Yeah, but it's something that we're exploring a little bit more, but we really, um, we really have our soul in the weaving, but I, I am looking into a little bit more printing here and there. We have some block printed textiles, so hand block printed in India that also have embroidery in the same cloth, um, but we have a couple window fabrics that are digitally printed that are really beautiful. Um, they are doing something that we couldn't achieve in weaving. So when I think about prints and using um, digital printing or even screen printing, I'm trying to think about what a print can do that weaving cannot do. So what prints can do is they can be much more multicolored and they can have a watery, look to them a watery surface a painterly surface which is sometimes hard to achieve in weaving so i don't want to print something that looks like it's woven got it i think that makes total sense yeah i'm trying to use the print to bring something new what's the machinery that's doing this and how can i use this machinery um to the best of its ability so it's not just starting with again. Oh, I like that pretty flower. Let's print it. You know, it's 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 the whole process. It's the machinery, it's the number of colors, the end use, and the ground cloth is really important as well in a print. So you want the ground cloth to have, whether if it's a window fabric, you want to consider the drape. Is it more opaque? Is it more sheer? If it's uh, an upholstery, again, what's the hand? How is it going to be used? Do you print on velvet? Do you print on a flat linen? And light fastness—you have to do light fastness tests because you don't want that print to fade. So, if it's a window fabric, it has has to have a longer light fastness than, say, an upholstery fabric.
0: Definitely. So, I know we talk a lot about you know this whole process about making fabric. And I really want to know, how did you end up in the textile industry?
1: So for me, the thing that I was always doing in my free time had to do with textiles. So it was sewing, it was drawing and thinking about ideas for fashion and clothes and making hats and doing things when I was young. And then when I really uh, thought about it, I decided to go into textiles because that's what I liked to do. But i did not know that you could have a job in it i went to school to study textiles without thinking about a job and at this point still i i really never used the internet at this point i had seen it a couple of times but i didn't have the compu- a computer so this was in like 1995 um, or six or something um i was at umass amherst and i was an art major But then I decided to transfer to study textiles because that's what I love to do. But I I didn't know what that meant, having a textile degree. And then when we were our junior year at RISD, we did a field trip to New York City and we visited different companies in textiles. So one was a print for fashion, one was um, wovens for interiors one was making artwork to sell to different companies so we visited all of these different designers and it was the first time that I realized you could have a job in it and <laughs> and New York was the place to be right so I actually I grew up in Massachusetts um very much a nature lover uh, I ha- I left in New York and I visited it several times, but I never thought I could live there because, you know, Ooh, scary, big New York city costs so much money. How could I get there? But once we went on this field trip, I was like, Oh, Oh my gosh, a seed was planted. And I thought I have to try, I have to at least try it. I would like to see if I can have a career in textiles. And that's when I started to, um, after graduation to get any job that I could just to get me to the city, but having a job in textiles. Um, and from there, like I said, I had the opportunity to work at Pollock and it was like, everything was over at that point. I was totally hooked, loved interiors, And I was so inspired by, um, by what we could do. And I have to say the first time I saw a 50 yard bolt of one of my designs in the warehouse, I couldn't believe it. So going from, going from hand weaving in school to seeing like the industrial process of a 50-yard bowl of fabric where I could see my hand and my drawing was just such a thrill. I still, I adore the hand process, but I've never hand-woven since, partly because I haven't had the time, but um, I'm just kind of hooked on the whole uh, process of the industrial side of weaving.
0: Yeah. I find your experience very interesting because you stay at Polak for 20 years.
1: Yeah. So I started in 2000. Well, the reason why I've stayed so long is because I believe it's the best place to work in the industry. It's, it's I think by far, the company that I can be the most creative with. We're a, boutique, we're a small boutique company and we're privately owned and we were a well-oiled small machine so i can do i can have ideas and see them to fruition and that is a huge thrill and the company is really well run and the people i work with are lovely and smart and considerate and fun and they're friends So I've never felt the need to um, jump somewhere else to have different experience. I feel like I have my design and personal needs met working here. If I was to do something different, maybe it would be totally radically different. You know, I would love to teach someday. I think I would be really good at that. And I have, um, I've been a visiting teacher at RISD for a few classes, and that's been exciting, or a visiting critic. And I do a lot of um, presentations and I do, um, CEUs for interior designers. And I love that aspect as well. That's one thing that, um, I enjoy a lot is educating people about textiles because, uh, most designers know very little about textiles, but everyone seems to be interested and everyone loves textiles. So when I talk, when I get deep into the, um, I don't know, kind of the minutiae of a wool, or spinning the wool, or shearing of the lamb, and how we color the fibers. Uh, People love it, and I love love sharing that information. So um, yes, I have stayed at Pollock a long time, and it's crazy for me to even say that. Like, I can't believe I'm this person that says, oh, I've been here 21 years. Like, I feel like I should be looking, like, old and gray to say that. Nothing wrong with being old and gray. I'm just saying that I don't feel like I've been there 20 years. It right. feels more like 10, I guess.
0: And what's your sort of like a vision for Polack in the future? Do you have, like, something exciting coming up or stuff like that?
1: That's a great question. Well,
0: you know, things,
1: this is, this is a competitive environment that we're all in right? Um, It's not like the uh, pool is getting larger as far as uh, who to sell to, right? In fact, I think it's getting um, harder because there's more competition. So being a privately owned company that's boutique is kind of rare these days. A lot of smaller companies have been uh, bought by larger companies. And not that that's a bad thing, but being small we're like we can um we can pivot and we can be flexible and like i said before we're this well oiled machine so just being able to maintain that and put out um our ideas that that is very fulfilling um i my one of my goals is to educate people educate designers more um, about textiles in general so again about end use, where to properly use fabrics, how they should be used, uh, what, fi- what are fibers. So I've been doing educational videos. That's something that I started um, during COVID. <laughs> I love those. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad you've seen them. You can see them on our Instagram page, on Instagram TV. But so that, was, that was a learning curve for me when I was stuck at home, it's like, okay, how should I do
0: this? So I put my acting hat on and that's been very fulfilling for me. Definitely. So, you know, towards the end of the podcast, I always ask, you know, looking back, were there moments or factors in your life that help you to be where you are right now? That's because of luck or a chance.
1: Right. Um, Well, certainly when I changed schools, when I went from UMass to Rhode Island School of Design to study textiles, that was a real gift that I was able to go to that school and an opportunity to uh, push myself and to really expand myself. So that was probably one of the best decisions I made because not only did it open me up to the possibilities of having a career, And going to New York, and also uh, my previous boss, Mark Pollock, he went to RISD. So there was a connection there. So when he was looking for a designer, uh, someone gave him my name. And I had the opportunity to interview with him. So that really was the foundation for how I got to where I am. Um, The other thing, the other factor is having patience. It takes so long to really be good at what you do and to learn from people who know
0: so much. And it just takes time. Definitely, definitely. Well, in the end of the podcast, I always ask my guests like five short questions. So the first one is, what's your favorite book?
1: Okay, uh, one book that made a big impact on my life is called Clear Your Clutter with Feng Shui. So, this book is a great book because it explains, it doesn't just tell you like how to like declutter spaces, it talks about the reasons why people have cluttered spaces or why they hold on to things. And mm. I thought it was really fascinating. It kind of like really goes into depth and talks about different people's experiences. And that helped me see what I surrounded myself with differently. There is a lot of like specific Feng Shui stuff in there, but um, I didn't necessarily follow the Feng Shui arrangement. It was more about learning about um, clutter.
0: That's very cool. And so who is your favorite artist? Well,
1: I actually don't think I can answer that question. I have, most of my friends are artists. In my apartment, I have artwork by a lot of different friends. Um, My boyfriend's an artist and I just love going to museums. I love going to galleries and uh, I really feel inspired in the moment. Not certainly not by everything, but, um, you know, the Calder exhibit that was at the Whitney a few years ago was amazing. yeah we're in New York. I see things all the time, but um i I really love my friends' artwork that i that I went to school with like paintings and sculpture, and my brothers are both artists, designer people, so I have their work in my apartment as well. yeah, that's
0: awesome and do you have a favorite hotel?
1: uh well, I tend to um like boutique hotels and Let's see, I love the Dean Hotel in Providence, a small little hotel by the Ash Hotels Group. And I also stayed at their place called the Siren Hotel, which is in Detroit, which is really cool. And um, the Line Hotel in DC is really great.
0: What's the most fun place you've been before?
1: Um a few years ago I went to uh Wyoming and I went to Yellowstone and that was a pretty epic trip to see uh the mountains and the just the amazing beauty and nature. That was great, but I feel like we live in one of the best states in the country. I think New York is just majestic. It has the beach, it has cities, it has farmland, it has mountains, it has rivers. And I did a a two-week Kind of road trip this summer where i went from the beach to the city to middle upstate all the way up to the adirondacks and then over to the thousand islands like almost up in canada and i was just thinking like gosh this this state is just absolutely majestic so um i would say
0: new york and last question how do you decompress
1: um i definitely need my dose of nature if i'm in the city too long i start to kind of vibrate like too much (laughs) so i go upstate a lot and when i get there i just it's just heaven to me to listen to like the insects and the birds and feel the wind and the breeze and look at the clouds um so being in nature i I also exercise that really keeps me going Um, but You know, it is hard to decompress, especially being a parent. It's like, when do you really decompress? Yeah. Like my my biggest fantasy is to sit down and like read and not be interrupted. And I, I can't even tell you the last time that happens, but that's like my ultimate fantasy. Like give me a cup of tea and a book and don't talk to me. And I'll listen to the birds and read. But yeah, that's how I decompress. Yeah, I love that.
0: Well, thank you so much for, you know, joining me and I really appreciate like how you sort of like explain this whole process of textile and I, and I think I really have a better understanding.
1: Oh, you're welcome. And I really appreciate your thoughtful questions. I can tell that you're listening and, and kind of reacting to what I say and you're very uh, thoughtful. So I I really loved speaking with you and um, I'd be happy to teach you about textiles any day and in depth because I can go on and on and on.
0: Thanks for listening to The Red Angle Podcast. If you like this episode, subscribe and review us on Apple Podcast, Spotify, or wherever you listen. You can stay connected with us through Instagram at The Red Angle Podcast or reach out to me personally at Elo Design. I linked everything about my guests in the show notes. So please go check it out. Thanks again for listening and see you guys next Wednesday.